All right, gentlemen, we're back together. Are we ready to get this party started? Let's do it. Yeah. Beep boop. Hello, Internet, and welcome to another episode of Geek Anthology. I am your host, Neil Cordray, and I am joined this week, this week by... The one true Ben. And... Mike. And speaking of mics, Ben seems to have a mic that actually works. Huzzah. Hi. I have internet that actually works. Yes, you've moved to your new secret lair, um, and uh, are now holed up in your uh, in in your uh, laboratory. And actually, we're calling it the studio. Ah, the studio. Fancy, fancy, fancy. Fancy, fancy. Yes. So, in fact. Well, that won't the the people on the podcast can't see that, Ben. Let's let's hold off on that, and we'll take and we'll worry about that later. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, uh, we're back, uh, from my, so- from the sojourn of me being exhausted and then having no internet. Um, so, uh, what are we going to talk about? Oh yeah, we're going to talk about digital rights management. Fun times! I dreaded DRM. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, but before that, as per usual, we got signal boosts. Uh, Mike, why don't you go first? Alrighty. Well, as I've mentioned before, uh, I had a previous signal boost about Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition for uh, Nintendo Switch and how fun that is. Mm-hmm. I've been playing that with uh, with the wife. Um, they just announced uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity for Nintendo Switch will be coming out November 20th. I did not expect it to be coming out in less than two months, so pretty excited. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, basically- sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, basically, it's a uh, it's a combination of um, a Breath of the Wild and Hyrule Warriors because it's it's set in the hundred years uh, before uh, Link does his uh, Rip Van Winkle act, and there's the mm-hmm. big lead up to the calamity and everything that sets the table for the events of uh, Breath of the Wild, and the art style is basically Breath of the Wild well and mm-hmm. that's a big thing that differentiates it is that instead of just okay uh you know is it nomi techno i'm not sure tecmo i'm not sure how you say the name tecmo koei oh I, i'm getting it mixed up with another company yeah tecmo mm-hmm. koei that's right um instead of them just going off and doing their thing and then having them sign you know on the dotted line that yes this we are you know uh, satisfied with your licensed game, they're closely working with um, with the Nintendo, uh, with the Zelda developers. Um, so yeah, and it just looks really good too. I saw the footage and stuff. So yeah, it's gonna be pretty badass. If you like either of those games, then you'll you'll love this one. Or if you like Dynasty Warriors. So yeah, that's what I mean. By either, I mean you know Warriors in general, because you know anyone who plays uh, Hyrule Warriors knows what's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Ben. What you got? All right, what I got? Uh, I got a couple things. I'm actually, actually, uh, I'm actually uh, boosting a couple signals. Um, our guest uh, on the Hamilton episode, Becca, uh, has a TikTok. Uh, hers is Ringsy. It's R I N X. She the follower until TikTok gets banned. Yeah, well, until then, but hopefully someone else will pick it up. So, uh, also, uh, been playing um, Avengers, uh, Marvel's Avengers. Just picked it up a couple days after it came out and enjoying the hell out of that one a lot so and uh i think that's about it aside from i have a little quasi news yeah uh just to you know signal boost myself um there is likely to be more audiobooks in the demon's apprentice lovely so yeah so yeah nothing's nothing set in stone it's more like on papyrus but you know well fingers crossed for you 
Thank you, thank you. Uh, so, as per usual, I am going to do my thing where I signal boost a YouTube channel because it's what I do. Um, um, obviously, if you visit them, please tell tell them that, that we sent you. Because, um, man, does it help to boost our signal as well. Especially when the people I'm asking you to spam are Polygon. Um, yes, that Polygon. Um, <laughs> uh, specifically, their, uh, their video series uh, with... Uh, with Brian David Gilbert called Unraveled, wherein um, he um, does a lot of interesting research and talks about video games and their theoretical interactions with the real world. Um, I can highly recommend um, the episode where he uh, where he cataloged all of the OSHA violations in every uh, in, in every level of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, or the uh, the episode where he determined Bowser's military hierarchy. Um, <laughs> Bowser ranks. I am Sergeant Bowser. I'm Corporal Bowser. Well, no, 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 no. More like like Bowser is the commander in chief, and he, he actually he he ranked all of the various monsters that you fight in the various Mario games um, on a uh, on a, a patterned their ranks off of um, the uh, United States military. So like Goombas are privates and uh, Galoombas are are PFCs. Um, Charging Chucks are sergeants and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, okay, so that sounds like uh, Army. Well, yeah, that's Army. That's he also branch. Yeah, that was Army. He also did Navy and Air Force. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was gonna say like with the flying Koopas and shit, you'd have to get into the Air Force ranks for that. Yeah. And he did. First class sergeant. Mm. Tech sergeant. Yeah. yeah, and he did. Yeah, in about a fifteen-minute video, and they're they're laced with a lot of very dry, very uh, very humor that I would that I appreciate. Um, <laughs> so if you listen to this podcast and think, "Huh, Neil's kind of funny," you'll probably think this guy's pretty funny too. If you don't think Neil's kind of funny, and why the hell are you listening to this podcast? Right, exactly. What the hell are you doing? And you can and you can leave a similar comment on the video because it'll be similar humor. Yes. So if you think Neil is funny, you'll think. Um. So. Spoiler of the uh, spoiler of the episode. To proceed with the episode, please state aloud the fourteenth word on the sixth page of Ben's fifth novel. Music. Thank you. And yeah, we looked that up, Ben. Sorry. Hang on, I've got one of those right here somewhere. Assuming, of course, Page of Swords is actually your fifth novel. Page of Swords is my second novel. Is your second novel? Yes. Well, Prom crap. Night. Prom Night is, is number well, one. Well, I, I, I was also counting the Zompok books. Oh, okay. Well, if you're counting it that way, yes, a fifth public. Okay. <laughs> that was that was how I was Indicated. counting Okay, so actually, uh, okay, so this is funny. It is the second and fifth, I've, uh, <laughs> because Pages Demon's Apprentice and Pages Swords were both first published with, uh, with a small press called Pendrick. Uh, but then I got oh. rights back. I got the, did the Zompox. The fifth that was self-published. Right, it's the fifth self-published novel. Yes. Okay. There's your caveat. Though. Here's your there's your installment of um actually. And also of Ben has one of the most interesting um um. Job job histories of any person I've ever met in my life. Uh, <laughs> if it's weird, Ben may have done it. <laughs> like that summer you spent crabbing. Well, that was just growing up. I did spend a summer painting. <laughs> uh, but yes, 
Uh, so we're going to be talking about DRM, um, and uh, the, 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 the joke of the spoiler of the week is that's actually very, very old school uh, DRM. That's actually just super old school DRM. That's, um, yeah. that, yep. that it's, it's uh, open the, it's, uh, you know, in the, you know, open, open the instruction manual and what, and who did we say killed this person on page 12? Um, and if you can't enter the enter, enter it in, enter it incorrectly, Within then it says period. you stole the game and you can't play. So yeah. which makes emulating those those older games a little bit harder unless someone unless the person who emulated it has the uh, has the the old stuff on hand because um, well these days I'm sure everyone has either the answers mm-hmm. to the questions or has like the, well, like images yes. or PDFs of the, <laughs> I, I, the original saying, like, instruction manuals. It adds stuff. an entire extra layer of comp of complexity if you're wanting to uh, if you're wanting to archive if you're wanting to emulate and archive this older oh, sure. game. Yeah. And and you know, yes, I will talk about emulation of old games all the time because okay, yes, technically it's probably still illegal. Um but at the same time, like you can't buy these games anywhere. If you can, you should, but you can't. Um, so I mean, sometimes emulation is the only choice you have for if you want to experience, like I don't know, like old school games like Mule. I don't think you can buy Mule anywhere. I'm just from a uh, just from a, like a historical perspective. You know how there's like the the video game museum, the Library of Congress, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you have stuff where you know. Um, I sit correct. Apparently, be... Mule is back on. It is is actually on Steam at the. Oh no, that's Mule Returns, not Mule. Ah, there you so... go. Lawyered. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like the only way that, like, you know, uh, I mean, short of like physically going to the museum or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's the only way for people to like learn and experience the old stuff. You know, to actually have it. Yeah. Actually have it accessible. Yeah, like. Um... It, like piracy for the sake of historical preservation and archiving is it, it, like while it is probably technically a crime, um, it shouldn't be. I mean, that's in my in my view, that's kind of like you know possessing a banned book, right? It's just like yeah. okay, the law may say that that's not legal, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing too is you know if you have like a lot of um, uh, like small like individuals or small development teams that are making games and learning about you know the making developing of games and stuff they may it might be valuable to them to look at like you know examples of that stuff you know like if they need an example of a genre or like see how a see how a game plays or like how you can develop something that's that's interesting on a shoestring budget or whatever like there could be a lot of practical application to that in addition to just the like oh i'm curious about this historical trivia or whatever you know mm-hmm. and and something else where you, when you're dealing with software um most of the time there's there's really software i mean windows now still uses old dos it's just never been you know never been taken out and those are good ways to get the base code for mm-hmm. like that yeah, I think we went a little, little bit far afield already, which is kind of bit. impressive. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, digital rights management is like it's it's interesting stuff. Um, everyone, like, yeah, please believe us. We are going to get to a lot of. Can you believe they they fucked up this this DRM? But like, it it has an interesting history. Um, other fun early examples um, would be like. Uh, in the original Monkey Island game, uh, there was the uh, 
There was the what you call it? Da, 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 um, dial a pirate. Was dial a pirate? Yes. Um, it was two interlocking code wheels that you had to turn around, and you had to match up an image. You had to ma- match a face on, uh, on, like the top of a face and the bottom of a face were on two separate wheels, and then you had to see where the pirate whose face you were told to design died and what year in order to play the game. Oh, yeah, it's uh, same thing going on with um, old some of the oldest D&D uh, computer games that they did in the 80s. I think it was Pool of Radiance is the one that I was referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically it's the exact same thing you described, just without a pirate theme. Yeah. Um, and cool. uh, Test Drive 3, had uh, you had to match keys to cars. It, it Like, the code wheel is actually is, is, uh, is, uh, kind of an old school, is a pretty old school uh, bit of... Um, of uh, what you call it? Uh, DRM. DRM. Um, copy protection before DRM wasn't really a, a term back then per se. Yeah, it was just copy protection. They call it like copyright protection or whatever. Ah, uh, yeah, that was another thing. Lens lock. Um, lens lock was a was uh, a, a um, it, it was it was a little piece of plastic with uh with clear uh plastic in the middle that was uh. That was oriented with and polarized in specific manners, so that um, if you looked through it, you could see a word that uh, out of uh, out of essentially what was just a, a bunch of random num like lines and such, etc. And you had to type that in uh, the thing into uh, to be able to uh, <laughs> to play the game. They also had, um, they also had, I, I believe it was on 3.5 um, discs uh, for computers, where they would have this little like thing on the disc itself, and like you, mm. it would run, and you could install the game, but like if you tried to copy it, it would cause some kind of problem, and it was so silly because all you did is just like physically remove the little thing, and that's it. You've circumvented. Yeah, it. plastic tab would copy. <laughs> because that, I it's think like, that oh was... no, I have to pop a tab. How difficult. Well, usually it was actually, and that was why it was it was so much better because uh, when you went went to the smaller floppies, um, it wasn't you had to pop a tab. You had to you had to actually tape over. Uh, where the tab was missing, so it, it was it was more complicated. Um, and other things like uh, like look look at this page on uh, look at this page that's nothing but red in the instruction manual, but through a piece of le- of red of uh, red plastic so that it filters out the correct wavelengths of red, so you can see the secret image. And you know you're talking about it where you could lose a game simply because you know the the disc became damaged. Mm-hmm. And then you know and so a lot of times most people most often were actually making backup. Mm-hmm. But and if you, you were know, making a backup, then there wasn't too much problem because you still had the other material. It's when you shared it around that the that the publishers got mad and you were like and you you know you were stealing their game because this was before the uh, the the massive heyday of shareware a la doom right which this actually was... segues into another memory of mine is mm-hmm. playing doom 2 there's some little message about how like you know if you are playing a like copied version of this game you will be going to hell and feasted on by their demons or something like that it was just a mm-hmm. silly little message that they threw in there which is kind of funny because uh because uh like doom 1 was like the one of the big pioneer games of shareware 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like yeah, here, I mean, please it's, give it's this disc to everyone you know. No doubt, but yeah, I mean, of course, that was the whole idea: is that it was shareware. It wasn't the entire game; it was a few mm -hmm. levels. Yeah, um, it was the but, yeah, first is, chapter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, it's a little tongue in cheek, and I just mm -hmm. <laughs> found that amusing. But yeah, no, the, the games we're talking about, where with like read the read the instruction manual, or like the old like Commodore sixty four. And, right. and ZX Spectrum games and things along those lines. And yes, I will always call it a ZX Spectrum because it was a British computer. <laughs> also, when I learned about it from watching a bunch of British YouTubers because it was the British computer. And so I can't even think ZX Spectrum, even though that's technically how it looks. So it sounds yeah, wrong. ZX, right? Yeah. right. It's a ZX Spectrum because it's a, because the letter is Z. Right. Honestly, I kind of prefer the prefer the letter Z to Z anyway, too. But Z's dead, baby. Z's dead. Yeah, the next uh, era, I guess, would be the the ubiquitous CD key when games stopped coming on 3.5 discs and started coming on uh, CD-ROMs. Mm -hmm. I have, I mean, that was the era I grew up in, um, as far as you know, well, gaming in general, but you know, PC gaming as well, because you didn't really see any kind of like CD-ROM. You didn't really see any CD-ROM console games until PlayStation, which was mm. like ninety, like late '95, I believe, is when the first iteration of the first PlayStation was launched. Um, so by that time, you already had a lot of, you know, a lot of popular um, PC games, and of course, amongst those were the Blizzard games that had yep. that. I remember the CD key. I still remember the old little pamphlet that had the CD key on it for Warcraft 2 and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. I'm pretty sure that somewhere in my in my messy, messy apartment, I actually still have my discs for Diablo 2 in the envelope that had the little that had the sticker with the with the product key on on the front. Yep. Yeah, and StarCraft as well. And, and then you have the, the thing, part of that most to copy, copy. Well, these are typically CDs. These weren't even DVDs yet. These are just compact discs, you know. Yeah. Well, only, a, only a paltry 700 megabytes as opposed to the what, like, what is the... A standard, a standard single-layer DVD is like 4.7 gigs, I think. A CD-ROM was around 700 megs. Uh, 4.7 gigs, very good. And now I'm curious, what about Blu-ray? Because you can buy a, and Blu-rays are about 25 gigs uh, single layer these days. I've been uh, looking at maybe getting an external Blu-ray drive for my uh, for my computer because I like my new computer quite a bit, but it doesn't have space for an optical drive anywhere. So I'm gonna have to get like just one that plugs into a USB port because I'd really like to be able to watch movies on my uh, on my computer. Yeah, I'm kind of on that myself. <laughs> Of course, my Randy the Craft every now and again she's like, "Hey, can I get you to download?" I'm like, "No, not that I don't want, but I can't." No DV round. Luckily, there ex external USB powered uh, CD and like blue, I, an, an external Blu-ray drive is like seventy bucks. It's not bad. I just don't have that right now. Anyhow, um, I suppose also we should we can talk about like read and write protection because there were things along those lines. Um, and you know when it comes to uh, here, here's another uh, as a writer, uh, mm -hmm. you know this is something my uh, sure. cut. Um, DRM is something that I have the option, mm -hmm. but I don't. Um, a lot of independent authors don't DRM download, but yeah, a lot of a lot of well, a lot of it's I mean a lot of it is cost benefit analysis. No matter you know from the smallest entity to the largest mega corporation, at the end of the day, you know, because. Yeah. There's the there's the benefit of you know preventing piracy and you know like securing the IP or whatever and then there's the uh, you know those potential benefits and the potential costs of like you know like you said 
the technical hurdles that come with it and people that own it just not being able to use it in the way that they want to or need to. And, uh, and then, of course, all the, you know, just the like general frustration or alienation that it can cause um, amongst uh, customers and potential customers. Uh, there can be a lot of like PR and uh, reputational snafus um, when it's not done right, both just technically and just like, you know, um, striking the right balance of accessibility and protection. Precisely. And that's the thing is, is that it's also kind of a, kind of an e-writer thing, uh, you know, that I found is that, you know, most firm do that. It's a love. Well, it's a value proposition too, right? Like if that becomes associated with that type of product, then that can, that can have an inherent appeal. So like, you know, you could have someone who is, um, you know, likes to do a lot of digital reading or whatever, but mm -hmm. they could be vehemently against DRM just philosophically exactly. or from a practical perspective if they're using all these different devices or whatever. And so then if mm -hmm. you, you have someone who might not even take a second look at a particular book or author, but if they know that, okay, well, this is like a quote unquote indie author and they just know it's baked in that they don't have to put up with that crap, they may be more willing to put down their money and just take a chance on something because you know mm -hmm. it's one less thing to um, struggle with yeah and a lot of them a lot of you know a lot of uh name oh we are jumping well, a, little, a little forward yeah. in time here but while i'm thinking about it i did want to mention real quick um there's that company good old games and that's like the whole business model and foundation yeah i was in fact just company. looking at god avoiding is uh, not having drm and yeah. that i mean that is a that's an obvious success story of you know there is a market for you know honest loyal customers that just don't want to fuck with drm mm -hmm. yeah i was just looking at at uh, at good old games because you know i was there when did i get a copy of serious sam as probably some promotional thing they gave I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that I got it for I, free I at some point. About that a while back, but yeah. like it, it, I, 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 every time I look at a games library, I seem to discover games that I have no recollection of ever purchasing. Apparently, also I have both the first <laughs> dungeon, first two Dungeon Keeper games on my GOG library. Which, um, what? Okay, I mean, I'm not complaining, but what? <laughs> 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 and evidently the folks at cd project red uh when they released uh witcher 2 i guess on gog it was the uh non-protected version mm -hmm. but all the pirates went after the rom retail <laughs> you know when it's like put one out there you could just use <laughs> you know you do this too and it's... you went through all the extra effort you know it is like literally, literally like <laughs> I, you 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 could just steal the like one person could buy it and then give the executable to everyone he knows oh well, yeah and you wouldn't have to crack it right <laughs> you know so well that that's kind of segues to another concept which is i maintain that there is a decent amount of people that just crack the things and hack the things just to do it just for the yeah. sake of doing it and for the challenge of it and, and there, there are a number of uh i mean the, the, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of what i would like I, a lot of people are like, oh, there's only two kinds of hackers. There's white hats and there's black hats. I, I disagree. I'd say the majority are gray hats, which really, they they don't hack maliciously or uh, beneficially yeah. or benevolently, <laughs> but, they, but they just do it because, <laughs> let's see if I can break into the Pentagon. Right. Can I, yeah. Like it, it's not. It's not. I want to know the nuclear launch code. It's just like I can do this. <laughs> like, yeah, insert the Jeff Goldblum meme from Jurassic Park here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just because you can. Yes. Um. <laughs> um. And 
a lot of people who crack, like, admittedly, a lot of people who crack games and then publish them, yeah, they're they're uh, they're they're being kind of malicious there. But at the same time, a fair number of cracks just kind of happen because. Yeah, it was a challenge, and sure, my friend wanted it, and I don't know. I don't care what he did with it afterwards. So. <laughs> um, which, I mean, if we're going to talk about game cracks, uh, we should also talk about, uh, talk about like, some of the legitimate reasons why games have been cracked. Um, and the thing that jumps to my mind is Secure ROM. Yep. Um, because when it was initially implemented, Secure ROM, which was a... Uh, method of uh, online uh, of of it was a it was a uh, it was a system it was a system file integrity checker. Essentially, every now and again, it would ping a server and say, "Hey, are these values correct?" And if the answer was no, then the game had been either stolen or modified or something along those lines. I'm not actually really sure how it worked because honestly, I don't know how a lot of uh, DRM works other than through some form of black magic. Um, Similar, yeah, but. Uh, the problem with Secure ROM um, was it initially installed a rootkit on your computer, which um, if you don't know about computers, that's a bad thing because if if there's a rootkit on your computer, that means people have access to uh, to your to to essentially your system folders, um, and if they know how to how to do what they want, they can do literally anything they want to your computer. The only thing that's worse than a rootkit is something infecting the BIOS. Yeah, and so you can understand why there would be people that are that were on a crusade to people, it, and that was People got real real mad about that when it was announced that uh, Spore was going to have uh, was going to be secured with root with uh, secure ROM. That was one of the things that made people uh, push so hard to uh, pirate it. And they successfully managed to uh, have the cracked version released, I think, three days before the commercial release of the game. Achievement unlocked. Because obviously they had to have like stolen it from a server somewhere, but they stole it from a server, cracked it, and put it on and put it on the pirate bay. <laughs> well, the other thing too, uh, less menacing but very um, annoying issue was it would have like uh, that and some other games would have a thing where it'd be like, okay, well, you can only activate it like three times or five times or whatever. And you would, yep. you would have these situations where people would have technical issues and people would change computers game. and were, mm-hmm. you know, you had people that are out in the boonies or serving in the military or whatever. And like, you know, they had very legitimate reasons where they had to keep reinstalling or installing different devices or mm-hmm. it wouldn't work right. Or there's a problem with the software itself, which then caused them to have to reinstall it. And they would just boom, 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 burn through those activations. Mm-hmm. And then here's a game they bought legitimately full price. And it just throws up a screen. And it's like tough luck. Uh, I had that the game you bought anymore. I had that problem uh, when I bought the uh, when I bought Bioshock. Um, yeah, that was original. a big problem with Bioshock. Yeah, it had five activations. Actually, and... started, it actually started with two. Uh, they, li- they increased it after they had people's like ah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the one I'm thinking of that had the, that went up to five. I, yeah. I definitely remember um, having a bad install. And the worst part of it was I bought I bought it pretty close to release. Um, and the first time I installed the game. It had installed incorrectly and flat out couldn't run, and I had to reinstall it. And hey, there's two activations right there. Yep. Now, luckily, I mean it worked on the second run, but like I, uh, that was when I became uh, a preacher against the uh, evils of secure ROM, and decided to personally never buy a game that was secured with it until secure ROM was removed. That's and no one uses it anymore. 
about the um, topic sure. is that like everyone's uh, everyone's opinions and views on it are shaped are often shaped by their own personal experiences. You know, mm-hmm. like you're just you're one snafu away from being very against it in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Well, and and the funny thing about Bioshock is now it's completely DRM free. You know. Well, that depends on where you own it. Because here's another thing: like everyone talks about the evils of DRM. Do you use Steam? Mm -hmm. Steam is one giant DRM um, platform. Yeah, most it is. It is nothing but libraries are digital rights management. It's good. Here's the thing: it's DRM done right. it has an offline mode, so you don't have to be always online, because always on, on online DRM is also bullshit. Because right. what if your internet goes down, like mine did last Many week? Of the same reasons I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, as you, you have to be online to download the game, because, I mean, you have to download it. Uh, but once it's downloaded locally on the machine, as long as you are signed into your Steam account, you can play the game. But you still have to be signed into your Steam account to play the game, too. Um, now you can be signed in in on in offline mode, but Steam has to be active, right? And everyone just kind of accepts Steam these days, or the Epic Game Store, or any of those other just giant digital storefronts because you don't think about it. But it is its own very effective form of DRM. Well, I think a major distinction between that and more traditional um, DRM is that that comes with a value proposition. So it's yeah. like, hey, if you're using this Steam or you know um, whatever the closest competitors would be, although let's be honest, they're well in the dust. Epic. <laughs> I mean, Epic's trying really hard, but yeah, um... I guess because uh, EA just basically threw up the white flag recently because they had they were trying to compete with Origin and they had a thing where they weren't doing their games on Steam anymore, and that they recently and then just they just recently that. dumped all of their games on a Steam. They, they capitulated. Yeah, but anyway, um, point is um, value proposition. So like you're like okay, you've got all of, you've got you know you've got your library and you've got all this like you've got your your friends list, your chat, your voice chat, your achievements, your in-game stuff, the little you know like trading cards or whatever. You've got the sales uh, on a regular basis where you can you know get the games for a fraction of the price and you have the ability to gift one to your friend and there's just like all this stuff it's a whole thing now granted it didn't just happen overnight we have to remember this started in like two that late the end of 2004 basically and mm-hmm. you know obviously there are some growing pains because it was a brand new thing and digital was still in its infancy as far as like digital sales and distribution but now that it's a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. you know people didn't like people it very much be- if they initially but uh they but steam it. came with half-life 2 so there was uh <laughs> right well it was like yeah, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you know, when the original Xbox came out, it was like, oh, this is the machine I play Halo on. So there's so many people that didn't give a crap about Xbox necessarily, but they really wanted to play Halo. So they bought it, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing is um, you don't necessarily, it's not like just because you use Steam, you have to buy everything on it in perpetuity. Like you can, you can make a case-by-case decision on whether you want to buy the Steam version of a particular game, assuming it's available on Steam, but most are these days. And I don't know, a, a lot of times, I know DRM likes it with writing. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I have some games that I like, but most of the time, yeah, I'm, I'm on Steam. <laughs> yep. So, 
Well, I, I can only speak for myself, um, but I will say this as well when it comes to Steam. I've never really had any DRM issues that were inherent to Steam. Like mm -hmm. the only mm -hmm. issues I've had with accessing games is because of the original version of the game that was then translated and released onto Steam. Yeah. So the issues I've ever had were from the original developer of the original release of the game. It was never mm -hmm. an issue. And I've been I've been on Steam since the beginning because I love Half-Life and I got Half-Life 2 right when it came out and mm -hmm. set up Steam yeah. good stuff. So I'm an OG Steam user and Half-Life's so good. Yeah. I really wish they would make a third Half-Life game. If there's the the, the biggest critical thing uh, that comes to mind with Steam is that it is the mechanism that prevented Half-Life 3 from existing because they got to yeah well you don't have to make games when you make when, when instead you're just making money right um yeah anyway but uh, i i feel yeah. like uh like there are some other like anti-piracy measures that are worth uh bringing up because they're pretty dang hilarious um this is this is more more cases i can think of of drm done right um the first one that springs to mind for me is uh there's a little game called the uh, game dev develop uh, simulator or Game Dev Tycoon, sorry, um, wherein you simulate being a game developer, obviously. Um, and uh, it's just sort of a, you know, select, okay, I'm going to make a game called the Masks of the Vampire game, because um, that was always the game I played. Uh, I, I always made uh, when, I, when, I played, when I played Game Dev Tycoon, because um, you can make just as many of the same name of games as you want. Um, they released a pirated version of their own game um, with a little bit of sneaky code built into it. Specifically, about the halfway point in the game, you get a message that people are pirating your games, and as a result, you're not making your sales. Um, Whoa, so this is like a meta-moral lesson? A little bit. Well, here, here's the thing. Um so eventually you get to the point where so many people pirate your games that you can't make your that you can't afford to pay your staff and you go bankrupt. The best part about this is this only happened in the pirated version of the in the in the quote pirated version of the game that they released, which then led to people going onto their forums and saying, "So game piracy keeps being a problem for me. Is there any way I can like maybe research some form of DRM or something along those lines?" Oh, the irony. The irony is suffocating. Yeah, it, it's it's really hilarious. Now, obviously, there there are times when like there are times when piracy is not only like acceptable; it's like the only thing you can do. Like, if you want to be a gamer in Iran, is yep. if you pirate games because you can't buy them legally. <laughs> um, like there, there are a number of there are a number of situations where piracy is the only op is the yeah, there's only. There's a lot of there's a lot of like, banned and censored games. Like not not, e not even not even like is 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 an acceptable option. It's the only option if you want to be able to play games. In which case, I say, yeah, go ahead and pirate the hell out of games. And most game devs agree because, well, you can't buy my game. I still want you to play it. Now, well, game and... publishers don't like that, but. They, they they consider sales and plays a zero sum game and they want your money. Well, they can also uh, they can also consider it um, free advertising yeah. and future potential sales because if somebody gets interested in a game mm -hmm. or a franchise or a developer or whatever, mm -hmm. and then things change, they move to a different country, they spread word of mouth to other family and friends yeah. that live in other countries where they can purchase, download the game, et cetera. Like that's you got to see the big picture. Sometimes. Absolutely, right? actually, there's there's a fair bit of evidence that actually shows that uh, that piracy can actually 
help sales um, as opposed to hurt it. Because you have a certain amount of population that's always going to pirate your game no matter what. Right. Um, and you're not losing money because they stole your game because you were never going to get their money in the first place. Yep. Then there's a certain amount of population who pirates a game because, especially before Steam had a, an okay um, refund policy, because they want to try out a game before they decide to buy it. Um, and those people essentially are pirating the game as a demo um, because game demos aren't as much of a thing as they used to be anymore. Right. And so after they've stolen the game and played a certain amount, they decide whether or not they want to spend money on it. And if they do, then that's a sale that you made that you wouldn't have made otherwise. Honestly, the only thing I really see anymore when it comes to demos is just like um, like those free weekends or whatever, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that's the closest, like betas and free weekends and mm -hmm. stuff. It's really all I see these days uh, as opposed to the traditional like demo discs and trial versions of... Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you'd have trial versions of online games, but that's pretty much right. it. I actually recently downloaded the, uh, the Medieval um, uh, demo on my PS4 for the, re for the remaster. Uh, but that was actually released as an homage to the original Medieval demo, because um, it's the exact same content just in the remaster. Um, uh, other in other fun inst instances of um, of DRM done right. Uh, the fighting game Skullgirls um, had a pop up that would happen in pirated versions of the game. I don't know how it could detect whether or not it was pirated. I like I said I don't understand DRM very well. I'm not a computer I'm not a, I'm not a hacker. I'm I'm a computer fan. Um <laughs> but um the first time you returned to the main menu after playing an arcade mode or a story mode or something along those lines uh would pop up a question saying what was the question? Do, 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 do. Pop up a question saying, "What is the square root of a fish?" And then just have an OK button. Um, and similarly, people would take to Twitter or fate or the forums and say, "What's up with this? Uh, what's the square root of a fish?" Question. To which the developer would respond, "Well, it means you should probably stop pirating my game <laughs> because it only popped up a." Um, it would only pop that that up on uh, on pirated versions of the game. <laughs> um, then there's nastier versions of DRM, um, like Earthbound's anti-piracy measure. Because uh, cartridge piracy wasn't as big a thing, but it was a thing. And if you had pirated a copy of Earthbound through whatever eldritch abominations they they determined it, the game would pay, play perfectly fine up to the final battle with Gygus up to the point at, at which point when you go into the little the the weird uh space vagina um because it's totally a vagina um if you look at it it's it's really weird um there's a lot of fetal imagery in the in the ending segments of, of Earthbound. next thing you know you're going to be telling me those aliens were cocks the whole time that the ridley scott aliens were a bunch of phalluses perish the thought well i mean they were but still um yeah, that's my point <laughs> Uh, in any case, you go into the <clears throat> into the into the weird space vagina, and right before you would go up, you the screen would enter that would allow you to see the final boss and have this final epic confrontation. The game would freeze, would crash, it would reset, 
and when you and when you turned it and and when it got back to the to the uh to the uh to the screen to the like the launch game screen your save game would be deleted that's just huh. it's beautiful and evil I, I i have mixed feelings about it because part of me is like okay well that's that's cool but the other part of me is like yeah but haven't they just played the entire game except not getting to see the end so they kind of isn't that effective well that's the thing because it's because it's a, 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 a it's a jrpg although it's a jrpg light because it is an rpg like the point of playing the game is to, is seeing it through to completion you don't know how it resolves you also don't get to see the final boss who's only ever been spoken of this entire time okay yeah i could see that being a real pain in the ass then so it's it, it's it's essentially and and given the fact that like to uh Let's see. Uh... It'd be like watching Jaws and then never getting to see the shark. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's like the movie stopping. You know, uh, when when the shark when the shark is coming and right mm-hmm. before the climax. Yeah, and 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 think of it this way: like the world record, uh, the world record for glitch for a glitchless speed run of Earthbound. And this is a speed run is three hours and thirty eight minutes, and that's you know pressing through all the buttons, not reading any dialogue anything and like the most optimal play that you can possibly man man uh manage the average person doesn't speed run games which means even if you are playing at a very fast pace you've still probably sunk about 10 to 15 hours into the game at bare minimum only to be only to be uh only only to be flipped off at the at the one yard line it's very effective drm in my opinion um (laughs) Oh my god, that's hilarious! <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so uh, speedruns.com is where I'm getting my leaderboard because that's pretty much the universally accepted where you get the leaderboards for speedruns. Um, and the top four uh, runs have a uh, the top four runs have little icons next to their run. Uh, the one for third um, for third place has a uh, has a picture of the Mondo Mole, um, which if you've played if you've played uh, Earthbound, and I've played, I've, I've played Earthbound a whole heck of a lot. I don't know if either of the two of you have. I played Earthbound. Um, so, do you remember the uh, the the the, uh, the the archaeological dig site in the desert with the five moles? Vaguely, that I all claim the that they are the third strongest. Ah, uh, yes. And it's that mole next as the as the third place trophy. <laughs> nice. Which that, that that's some that yeah. that's some that's some pro moderation there, in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's completely off the walls. Just that that really tickled my funny bone. Uh, <laughs> I've been finding a lot of interesting things really funny. Um, I want to signal boost one other thing, um, which is um, a uh, I'll put it in I will put it in our Discord to try and drive people to our Discord. But it is the uh, the absolute best Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, uh, uh, blooper that I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> I recommend both of you gentlemen just briefly watch that so you can just get a good chuckle out of it. Which one is it? Is it 14 uh, seconds long? Is it Jordy and, and Worf? Yes, it's Jordy and Worf. I have seen that one. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like they rehearsed it or something. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> they both do the Picard maneuver right after. Pulling I know. <laughs> If you want to know what we're talking about, everybody, you can see it on our Discord, which you can access on our Facebook page or on our website. Teaser. 
<laughs> oh, uh, I did want to mention before I forget, um, on DRM, uh, mm-hmm. Games for Windows Live being a giant pain in the ass. Oh, fuck Games for Windows that. Live. <laughs> yeah, I figure we're all on the same page here being Fallout fans. We all, at the very least, had to deal with that on uh, Fallout 3. And uh, as I was mentioning before the show, Neil, um, it bit me on the ass again somehow when I was playing the <laughs> when I was playing the Steam version. Like, it just was like having the little prompt come up even though it was even though it's been like dead for years yeah mess around with it a bit to get to go away so i was like curse you games for windows live even from the grave you're messing with me (laughs) it was just i don't know for for those who don't know or don't remember um microsoft was making a like kind of a weak half-hearted um attempt at being like hey look guys we're totally we're totally into pc games again we're not just about the xbox and we're gonna do a thing where you can like look at xbox related stuff on your pc and vice versa and hey these are games that are made specific and it was supposedly like a live thing like xbox live but for pc games and it just i don't know it was one of those Mm -hmm. things where it's like it was a service or a product or whatever that like it was solving a problem that wasn't there yeah it was was like a faux attempt it was like it just struck me as a really phony attempt to like oh we totally care about the pc gaming market and but we really don't and (laughs) all we're doing is just like slapping up rand on a thing and like making it more annoying like all of the things that games for windows live was attempting to do were things that were already being done in better contexts like in a steam or a similar network or service and mm-hmm. it just was dumb and sucked to the end everything they can do someone else can do better and already has done yep mm-hmm. uh, um we didn't have quite as much to talk about on this episode do we do we like i'm kind of out of stuff i am you, yeah my biggest part of my you know mm-hmm. Oh, there's also um, it's fitting since that was the that was the word um, in the <laughs> in the faux music? DRM we did for the spoiler. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. the concept of the the music DRM. That's 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 a huge thing in and of itself, and obviously yeah, um, that has evolved over the uh, over the last twenty years quite a bit as far yeah. as the various like programs and back when Napster was a big thing and you know like actual Napster, not the legalized version that no mm-hmm. one gave a shit about. Or you know <laughs> LimeWire. Uh, Who yeah. remembers LimeWire? I remember LimeWire. LimeWire. <laughs> um, that actually remind that 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 will uh, that allow me to go off on another brief screed. So thank you, but thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> By all this means, is please. this is why I hate Apple because iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have like if you have a music library, if you have an Apple, it's on iTunes, and that means that you can potentially. If something happens to your iTunes account, not be able to listen to your music, whether you um, unless you've got like, you know, the physical disc. But uh, that's why I like the MP3. It's uh, it's mine. Um, and so long as the, you know, the hard drive sector doesn't get corrupted, it'll just work. Um iTunes uh, shenanigans with iTunes that admittedly don't happen too much anymore. This was the, the sour taste was put in my mouth at early implementation Um, over the years, but I, I I am, uh, I am a bitter, I am a bitter husk of a man who uh, holds grudges for a long time. So, um, (laughs) well, and the thing about some, you know, about things like uh, certain types of stuff Mm -hmm. is that, after a certain point, it's almost like you don't own what you just paid for. Yeah, I that that's my that's kind of my big thing against a lot of 
DRM was you don't own what you bought. You own, you have a license for the thing you bought. And uh, and a lot of games companies would really like you to just have a license for the game you bought. Um, It's why that we, it's why we, uh, this podcast gets edited in Audacity, which is a demonstrably inferior program to Adobe Premiere. Um, It's not because I can't afford Adobe Premiere. It's because I don't want to have to pay the, like, I think two or $300 a year for Adobe products, even though they are absolutely the best. I've gotten to, like, when I was, when I was in school, I did all my edit, all my, all my everything editing on, uh, on the full Adobe suite because the school had them and it was great. Um, but Adobe costs a whole hell of a lot of money per year. And I'm not, and I'm not about that. I want to buy and own things. I don't want to get, I don't want to own the right to use a thing for a year. That's why my version of Microsoft Office what isn't Office 360. It's, I shelled out for Office. That's why I use uh, Sumatra PDF instead of Adobe Acrobat whenever, whenever possible, just to say, screw you, Adobe. And yet I still use Steam, but that's, at least with Steam, I have a certain sense of ownership because Steam's not going anywhere anytime soon, and I and it's pay once and you own it as opposed to pay once a year. Yeah, that's the thing about Steam is like you know when it was a newer thing, people were understandably trepidatious about that, about the concept of just having like the access to the game instead of a game they can touch or whatever. But it's like, all right, it's 16 years later and everything is going just fine. So. Yeah, and Steam's going no, it ain't going nowhere at the moment. You're going nowhere. <laughs> Rest in peace, peace, uh, Macho Man. He died recently. It was sad. Yeah, nice, uh, nice reference there, by the way, because the bone saw line is the obvious line, but that's a bit of a deeper cut. I got you for three rounds. Three minutes. Oh, three minutes. That's right. Three minutes. I have watched the hell out of that movie. The first Spider-Man was really, really actually, actually, I, I would say excellent. And it wasn't as good as Spider-Man Two, but um, it was so good. I love some of the casting decisions there. Like obviously, you know, Macho Man. That's fantastic. And that was one of the better Bruce Campbell cameos as well. Mm-hmm. And Willem Dafoe is always entertaining. Oh, like, yeah, he's, I, I, he's not ne- he's not necessarily always a good actor, but he's always entertaining. Well, that's he's uh, <laughs> that specific performance of his has become a great meme as well, mm-hmm. where he's like, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. And then somebody just fills in the blank instead of a scientist for whatever the, the thing <laughs> or activity is. Yep. Good stuff. And then you uh, uh, don't don't ever watch Antichrist. It's a movie with Willem Dafoe. It's an art film with Willem Dafoe, and uh, just just thinking about it really hurts my balls. <laughs> Yikes! Um, because in in the thing in 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 that movie, I'll, I'll tell the story. In the movie, um, Willem Dafoe, <coughs> excuse me, who does full frontal for the movie as well, by the way, um, gets his uh, gets his um, gets his dick and balls uh, crushed with a cinder block. Ow! Funnily enough. Um, when they were shooting the scene, they had difficulty getting the scene to shoot well because, um, apparently Willem Dafoe is 
very very well hung <laughs> and no one in no one in the it, no one um, the, the the actress who was who was crushing him plus most of the uh plus most of the crew couldn't stop stop laughing at how ridiculous he was <laughs> they had to shoot that they had they had to tr- they they had to to try and shoot that scene like a, a according according to uh to a youtube video i watched about it they had to shoot that scene like 20 or 30 times because people just couldn't keep a fucking straight face because his dick was too big you know i'm something of a tripod myself <laughs> <laughs> think about porn star myself. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, you don't really need to see the movie. But but that's a very funny little bit of uh, bit of, of trivia about it. <laughs> um, the movie just hurts. Um, it's a weird. That's a weird topic to end on. Do we even have anything else? <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, Willem, it's like Willem yeah. Dafoe's junk. Good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think kind of uh, yeah. Top that. <laughs> Um, no, he can top that, but, um, but I'm chink. Um, but, uh, okay. uh, We can can tease the next episode. (laughs) Yes. Um, so because we, uh, because we missed a thing, we're going to actually be releasing, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to release this episode this Saturday. We're going to release, we're going to record another episode in a week and we're going to, so like, we're going to have three weeks of episodes in a row. What? Uh, so that we're back on the correct number of episodes for the year and uh, back on our proper release schedule. Uh, so um, we're just going to tease the next episode. So I'm just going to leave it with this. Sweep the leg. In the meantime, this has been Neil. The one. And Mike. And we will talk to you actually next week on Geek Fanthology. Get at it. Um. This podcast is a production of Working Theory Productions. It was brought to you by the letters DRM and the number two installs per disc. Opening theme is Ultra Mega Hyperstorm, and ending thing is March of the Mind, both by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this podcast or know someone who would, please consider sharing it on your social media, sending us an email, leaving us a comment, subscribing, liking, hitting that bell for notifications if you're on YouTube, rating us on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Anything that really supports the algorithm. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us either by making a one-time donation on our website at www.workingtheoryproductions.com or a reoccurring one at Patreon at patreon.com slash workingtheory. A final thought. It's so easy to do DRM well. Why do so many companies insist on doing it badly? <laughs>